Welcome to Wild and Exposed. Your number one adventure, nature, and outdoor photography podcast. Wild and Exposed is hosted by Michael Morrow, Ron Hayes, and Jason Lopez. Thanks for tuning in. So we're back with Drew and Aaron, and we did a little photo expedition like we told everybody we were going to do. And what we're going to do is highlight that expedition. Well, originally we intended to record it out in the field, but some <laughs> dude forgot no the names. recorder. Nobody's no pointing any Nobody's fingers, pointing on, any that. fingers but, on who uh, forgot that. Yeah. But actually, as it turns out, I'm glad we did because the wind picked up really bad, and these yeah. microphones are horrible in the wind. And then also, it gave us a chance to just shoot all day. And focus on the bears. Focus on the bears, and now we can recap the day. And I think it's important to recap the day because it just sets the scene, right? It just sets the scene for what needs to be protected. If we were so focused on the bears, why were my photos so out of focus? Well, I don't know. I got some <laughs> great content, especially of the salmon. So <laughs> It was interesting, though, because we were talking about this earlier. And, you know, it's such an odd summer with COVID and travel restrictions and things like that. I did feel like I was out of practice yeah. and shooting anything really yeah i haven't shot video in a month and a half <laughs> that was probably good to do though right yeah no it was really nice to do it's it's always nice to get back there and watch the bears anyways like you go out and you're like oh yeah they're so silly we had that one plane with the stick and rolling over and <laughs> what's it like when you guys go out when you don't see it when it's been that long because this is totally unusual right Did, what was your first impression when we first got there and it's was it, I just can't wait to go see what this is going to be? Well, I, I, I'd been getting some reports because there have been a few people trickling out there. And so, uh, and we did have one member of our party, Max Block, who'd been out there uh, giving us reports from the, from the field. And we grilled them because we wanted to know. We were yeah. all like super anxious. So we're like, Max, what about this? Max, where, did you see this? Where are the bears? Where, where are the, the bears? bears? <laughs> How many bears? <laughs> Which bear? Can you describe <laughs> the bears? Well, and so I was, I was anxious in a good way, because I, since I've been doing this every year, I really enjoy catching up with familiar faces. And one of the things that I know, we saw a ton of family groups yesterday. That was fun. And there were a lot of them yearlings that I recognized from last year when they were Cubs of the Year. So just kind of checking in, making sure the family's still intact or you know, seeing a lot of them are, or if they were yearlings last year, now they're reaching that goofy, <laughs> awkward, <laughs> awkward <laughs> teenage phase. And it's just, it's like to be able, I, I feel really lucky to, to be able to do this every year. And you do watch these bears grow up and coming back every year, checking in on them, making sure they're, I mean, you have bears drop out every year and it doesn't mean they, um, they've died. They might just be using a different stream that year or, but, but I was really impressed out there because there were a ton of fish um the bears had, or the fish had made it to places they hadn't made it in a decade so the bears were were spread out but we had we, we were trying to do the math how many so how many bears did we end up seeing yesterday i think max told us it was 38 bears 38 bears within or five, five hours or six, yeah five hours yeah so let's so i was trying to think of that as we were walking out yesterday when we first landed mm-hmm and I guess we should just paint this whole picture, right? So we're taking off out of Homer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> then we fly. In a float plane. In a float really plane. really paint the picture. Yeah. A beautiful green float plane. Yep. Beluga Air. 
We flew with Wes. And our majestic pilot got out of the plane and said, welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Come join me. (laughs) And they do have that prestige of being an Alaskan bush pilot, right? Mm -hmm. That's just like, that's got some stuff to it. Well, and this was my first time to that part of Katmai. So uh, that's always really exciting, too, when you're going to a new part of of the park to see it. Well, I got to give Wes a shout out, too, because I've... You know, I've got a short list of pilots in Alaska with whom I will fly. You pick your pilots based on, your, on their self-preservation instinct. And I've been flying with Wes for a long time now. And I would fly anywhere with that guy. And basically, because he's canceled so many times on me, you know, if, if your pilot doesn't want to fly... You don't want to fly. Exactly. We've had so many times at our family lodge where people will argue against it when the pilot says no. And it's like, no, listen to your pilot. (laughs) They know what they're talking about. They want to fly you. But these hundred knot winds are not what you want to be in in a bush plane. But we had beautiful weather. I mean, we we showed up and it was stunning. And you're always excited when that happens because you're like, oh, it's going to be a good flight. And it was. It was flat the whole way. I mean, there wasn't very few bumps at all. Well, and so we, we took off from Homer, and so if you're you know picturing where Homer is, it's at the south end of the Alaska Peninsula. You get in this float plane. We were in a De Havilland Beaver. Uh, there were four of us and a little bit of gear. <laughs> and uh, so we, it's about an hour and 15-minute flight over to Katmai Park, and Katmai Park is 4 million acres. So it's twice the size of Yellowstone, like when you're, when you're trying to put scale to all this. And... Um, Katmai Park has a bunch of different bear viewing opportunities within the park itself. So you've got the Katmai Coast, which, you know, people can, you can camp there. You can do day trips. A lot of people do it by boat. Like if you, uh, um, you remember the podcast with Brad Josephs, he's been doing boat tours out there for, I mean, there are decades he's been doing <laughs> that now. And, uh, and it's just a stunning place, but it's a completely different experience than if you were on the, so that's the Cook Inlet side or the uh, Shelikov Strait side. And then you cross over the mountains and you've, in the rest of the park, you've got probably the most famous bear viewing spot of the whole world is Brooks Falls. And that's the Tom Mengelson, you know, the catch, the, the salmon jumping into the bear's mouth. It's one of the, the busier bear viewing spots. But it's again, it's those Bristol Bay sockeye salmon going up and they... <laughs> and that district that feeds into that waterfall, the Naknak Quijak re- like district, got 23 point, I think it was 4 million, 23.4 million sockeye in that run this year. That's impressive. Which was a good run. That's a good Be- run. Better yeah, than that's, normal. That's better than normal. That's really good. Yeah. And then, uh, so Brooks, you know, get people coming in on day trips. You can camp. Uh, you go through the, the falls is what everybody wants to see. But frankly, uh, you know, I like the rest of Brooks too. You've got different <laughs> platforms, bridges you can, you can, uh, you can check out, and it's an amazing experience. And then we were in a more remote, remote corner of Katmai, and it's float plate in. So we we fly across the inlet. It's about an hour and fifteen minutes. The first part, you know, you're flying out of Homer. You're waving at all your friends as you take off, and they're all jealous. And uh, so the first part, you're over water, <laughs> and that's not the most interesting. But then we did see a whale with her oh, calf. Oh yeah. yeah. Yep. Whales and clouds, ocean. <laughs> a lot of water. A lot of water. That's you wear a, a life jacket while you're in the plane. <laughs> Just in case. Just in case. And uh, then you fly by Augustine Volcano, which, you know, you're flying by this volcano that goes off about every decade. It's, it's a little overdue. It did not go off on our trip, which I crossed my fingers. <laughs> <laughs> it's 2020. <laughs> 2020. What's next? Oh, volcano. <laughs> yeah, it's about The last time. time I flew by there, it was smoking. Ooh. 
Actually, in the Beluga Air office, they've got a picture of when it went off one of the times that was on the cover of, I think, National Geographic. <laughs> like, ooh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, we, we flew over, um, you know, you fly over kind of by McNeil River, and then you go up through some passes, and boom, you're over on the Bristol Bay side of the mountains. And this is, of course, that huge, abundant sockeye run. We, we did the last podcast, and we talked a lot about the unique qualities of Bristol Bay. And this year in particular, um, Aaron didn't catch all the fish. I tried. <laughs> <laughs> of course, letting the escapement through because I want a sustainable <laughs> run. But I tried to outfish everyone. <laughs> but that meant there were a lot left for the bears. Yeah, the bears year. were very happy if, if, if we go by salmon. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the landscape is so different. Um, out there because it's these big rivers lots of water it's all tundra you know we didn't see a tree all day is there a tree there are alders and willows yeah, alders and things and willows, but, but no. no there's no like spruce trees or nope. deciduous trees or anything not like that not the area that we're in no and it's wide open just kind of like rolling hill kind of stuff but mountains in the distance that surround and the it, whole place it's so cool because when you have a different habitat like that the social dynamics in those areas are going to be different and the food resources are different and the availability on the water is different where they can stand and then you have someone like drew on the trip who's been watching bears forever and knows the bears suddenly you have all these new stories coming that you didn't even know you're getting the bears history you're learning about oh you know she's a really good mom she's she's really successful with cubs here's this it's, it's really cool to be with someone who knows the the area so intimately because suddenly you know it's like it's like a drama unfolding well we were sitting there on the river and there's there's some fishermen that go by every now and then and drew was talking to one of the fishing guides and they talked about a bear and you're like oh yeah the one that looks like it gets his nails done every week <laughs> that the glamorous has bear. frosted ears or yeah. frosted hair and, you know, you just, you can reference those bears, which is really cool. It's super awesome to be able to, like you just said, to go out with Drew. Well, and what else is cool about that spot and other spots is, you know, I worked for a number of years over on the Cook Inlet side. So I worked at McNeil River State Game Sanctuary for six years. I did a number of years of boat tours and day trips over on the Katmai Coast. Um, but there are definitely um, several bears that we see over on the Bristol Bay side that you recognize from the Cook Inlet side. Like these bears have come, I've, we measured on Google Earth a few days ago, and it's 25 miles straight line, so they probably didn't walk in a straight line, they <laughs> probably took a little meander, 25 miles across a mountain range <laughs> from McNeil River to Katmai where we were. And so, you know, these bears, they, they took advantage of the, the sedge and some early runs of fish over on the Cook Inlet side, then they'll cross mountains, everything to get to this Bristol Bay fishery. And the fact that you can even track these huge animals over space and time like that is, it's kind of mind blowing to me. Like <laughs> Alaska's, a, Alaska's a, a big state, but it's really like a small town, even with people in bears. You know, you're in yeah. Fairbanks, you run into somebody from Anchorage. You're in Kaktovik, yeah. you run into somebody from Juneau. When you've, oh, it's, if you meet someone, you know at least three people who know them, <laughs> especially when you go to Homer. You're in Katmai, you run into a bear from McNeil <laughs> River. It, like it, it, it holds for people and bears, really. Yeah. <laughs> well, and as we're flying in, you can see how many of those sites – you could see McNeil often, or not see it, but, you know, the general direction. You can see 
all these different little spots along the way where there's actual bear baiting that can go on, right? So well, it just speaks yeah. to the proximity. Well, and then you start g- like getting these river systems in view and you start to be able to count the bears as you're flying in. And, and I think it just gets more and more exciting as you go because it's A, it's a beautiful landscape. It's stunning. There's bears everywhere and you're watching them and you're like, oh, I get to go there. And, and then you land on a, this little lake and you, you get ready to hike. <laughs> <laughs> And that's where what the started this whole conversation is you were saying how many bears or, or we were talking about how many bears we saw. So in the first 20 minutes, you land on a lake that is probably what? Half a mile from the river? Yeah, it's not that far. It's not so. that far. And then you have to make it past all the blueberries. Right. Which, which can was be hard. distracting. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and you get to this first bluff. And from that point, and this is where about 20 minutes into our walk, I quit just counting because I knew we were going to see tons of bears. <laughs> But we saw 12 bears just in that time. Just like that, yeah. In 20 yeah, minutes. It's so fast. Yeah. And then, you know, you can't even count how many salmon you're seeing. And it's really cool because the water's low and the salmon are bright red at this point, the sockeye, because they get that bright red body color and the bright green heads. And they just, the, the river has dark patches everywhere where the fish are. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it should be this, this whole, like we're talking about Katmai, which is so big, we should mention that. You know, this whole north end of the Alaska Peninsula is the best bear habitat in the world, but it's part in due to these large complexes of protected land. And so you have, uh, we're, like we're in Katmai for this mission, but there's also Lake Clark National Park up to the north, which I know, Michael, you've spent time in, in Lake Clark and Jason's been there, goes there regularly. Right. And, uh, you know, that's another amazing place to watch bears. And the more places you go... Like we mentioned all the ones in or touch scratch the surface on Katmai, but then you throw in Lake Clark and, and uh, Readout Bay and Readout Mountain Lodge and all these different places. Like you can have just such a variety of experiences. Like you go bear viewing all summer and not have the same I think that's what <laughs> Max did, twice. isn't he? That, that is what Max did this <laughs> summer. Max is like racking in the bears. <laughs> Max Block has had an epic summer of we're all viewing. jealous of max so <laughs> we've talked about max quite a bit can you give us a snapshot of what max is doing for you guys he's awesome so, well so so max was on our mission and he had the unique opportunity this year in that he came up to alaska super early and did his two-week quarantine his so test. so that makes him an honorary alaskan <laughs> <laughs> and so he was able to go on some of these these missions um where he was lucky enough to get a McNeil River permit for over 4th of July. I think he flew out there on 4th of July weekend and was there for four days and nailed it. Well, and do you want to quickly say how do you get a McNeil River permit? Because oh, people might not know how so it's hard very, that is to it, get. <laughs> it is, it is, it's, it's kind of the crown jewel of bear viewing. McNeil River is the largest congregation of brown bears anywhere on earth. And so I think uh, Max said the most he saw at McNeil this year at one time was 39 bears in a quarter mile stretch of river. And so you're out there for four days, you've got this permit that you've won through a lottery that you apply on the Alaska Department of Fish and Games website. Like a year in advance, right? Um, how, I think at least you can six already, months, I You think. can already six apply months. for yeah. next year, I'm pretty sure. Suddenly it's gonna flood with applications. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> We're just making There's the odds no applications. <laughs> and, um, and you go out, you camp out, um, and it's 10 people at a time. 
You know, there's a fish and game staff who will take 10 people a day into the sanctuary. This year, their numbers were a little lower people-wise just because, you know, everything that's going on. And so Max was able to go in, spend four days camping out, seeing all these bears, and then stuck around and has been to Katmai several times. And he was one of the first ones um, this year that we've always known the bears are going back and forth, but there was a really distinct bear that he was able to get images of 25 miles apart. So he saw it over the 4th of July at McNeil, and then he saw it him last week in Katmai. And so like, and this is a real distinct bear. You know, bears can be hard to tell apart. On some level, they're all brown and hairy, <laughs> but this one has a really distinct like snaggle tooth. And he's a huge blonde male, which also makes him unique. So uh, Max said he picked him out from a mile away and <laughs> said, that's him. And sure enough, you look at the pictures, same bear, two different places. And Max has been taking photos of every bear he's seen, and he's able to ID them then in well, collaboration, right? Isn't this well, yeah. So, uh, so Max was with us uh, on our mission, and his job was to take pictures of every single bear that we saw. And then at the end of the season... We're going to have him submit all those pictures to Alaska Department of Fish and Game so one of the technicians can go through and try to match up and see how much overlap there is between these two bear viewing sites. So not, it's, it's kind of a citizen science. Not a bad one to do. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, and that's totally verifiable, right? Because you can verify and know for a fact, based off of the information that he's got, of seeing it at Katmai, seeing it at McNeil. And I think if you've worked and photographed bears enough, you can you can tell bears apart, even if it's hard. Well, I was going to say that because you said it's hard to identify bears for the general viewer. But like you, you know, you've spent enough time around these bears where you're like, oh, that's what. So, you know, you tend to nickname these bears with <laughs> certain nicknames, right? And I don't remember. You were talking about a couple yesterday. I don't remember their names, but. Who are we talking? Dusty was the one that... Uh, Dusty's uh, the snaggletooth. He's the snaggletooth, yeah. Which, that is by far and away the best bear to have appear in both places because there's no question that yeah, that is not is. the same bear. Because usually males are pretty dark, aren't they, too? Is, that's yeah, you right up until the blonde, they're not. <laughs> the blonde is unique. Yeah, like there are, there are more dark males... Uh, or males tend to be darker, but that's not a hard and fast rule. No, like, no, don't no. don't just don't, assume. Don't do it yeah. that. that. <laughs> but you usually usually don't usually. get blonde bears with snaggletooth. Well, he's also he's got a snaggletooth. <laughs> he's got uh, one of the claws. I think it's the outer claw on his right front paw is broken in a very distinct way. So, like, really, I mean, if you're putting them through a binomial key, you say, is it a male? Is it a female? Yes. Yeah. You go over here, and then you say, well, is it? brown or blonde oh it's blonde so it's one of these and then does it have all its claws and you could key them out essentially uh, and that's that's you know, with the, scars think, ear ear yeah. styles you know some yep. of them will have frostbite on their ear or something yep. and it's think, half of an ear i think that's why too i would always recommend going with an experienced guide even if you think you know how to act in bear country which you might Having an experienced guide who's been in the field for year after year and gets to know these bears, you're going to have a whole different experience if you're with that guide and hearing these stories. Like, I think it brings so much to the experience if you're able to be with someone who knows the bears. I agree 100%. And it lessens the impact on the bears, too. Like, if you have a bear that you know, you'll know right away. You're like, oh, that's so-and-so. They don't necessarily like having us around. You just go find a different bear. Like, like let, let that bear be. There's no, no reason to force <laughs> photographic notoriety on a bear because uh, it just might not. 
Well, not only that, like but when you have your head and eyes to the camera, you're not paying attention to what's going on behind you. So when people <laughs> ask me about photographing bears or filming bears in Alaska, I always recommend taking a guide with you, even if you're experienced. Just because, I mean, it, it brings more to the experience. You have that safety option. You don't have to pay attention quite as much. You're able to focus on your photographing. Like, I just really think that, and then you're also helping an industry that's helping protect the the habitat. That's well put. And I agree with you 100%. Anytime I've done a bear trip in Alaska, I've always went with a guide. Well, you've always. gone with some of the classics. Some of you the guys best. go out with Derek Stoddard. Right. Yeah, <laughs> some of the best guides for sure. And I, I you know, they're they're worth their weight in gold. Yeah. And they know these. It's just exactly what you said. They know the bears. They know what the habits are. That's another thing you referenced yesterday was since you hadn't been there all summer, you really don't know the little hidey holes that this bear likes or the little fishing spot that this particular bear likes. So having that knowledge as a photographer, is yeah. you're way more productive. It's, it's great. <laughs> way more productive. And not that we weren't productive yesterday. I mean, we were extremely of- productive yesterday. <laughs> But also, you've had years of experience, so even if you've missed a couple months. Well, can you imagine if you and I were out there, because Drew took us right to the little spot where you drop off the bluff. You and I would be wandering around all over the place. We'd have stopped with the first bear. We'd have probably stayed there all day just because we found a bear, right? Well, wouldn't have made it past the blueberries. Well, it's, no, we wouldn't have. I would have been eating there. Um, and it's funny because I have heard people before be like, well, I don't want a bear guide. Like, I'd rather, you know, save money and then I don't need anyone helping me. And I'm like... You don't understand what you're missing out on. Like it, you should be so excited about having someone with so much knowledge and so much experience. And again, the stories, yep. like you're learning a story about every single bear and you're going to get better photographs because of it. Always, <laughs> always. So now let's take it from, we've made it 20 minutes in. We've passed the blueberries. We passed the blueberries. <laughs> we've seen 12 bears. Now let's take everybody through the rest of the day because I had no idea. What was funny is the lake we landed on was the same lake that I landed on the first time I was at this spot. I had no idea. When you said, hey, let's go to Katmai, I was like, okay, great. I had no idea <laughs> where we were going. Have friends invite you to Katmai. <laughs> right? Right. So I'm like, okay, let's go. I didn't know we were actually going to land in the same exact spot. Um, but from that lake, then we walked. I, we did it differently when I was there with Derek. So you took us to the first spot where we dropped off the river, and let's just take it from there and kind of what we saw. Well, so we dropped down into the river, and there, you know, bears and fish. Because you do have, there is, there are willows and alders. Well, it's all willows out there. Isn't it? And you, you break on through, and, and suddenly you got to take stock of where the bears are. And so there, there are bushes they could be behind. And so you kind of just slow your roll a minute, take stock, Say, okay, we've got bears over here, we've got here. And then we really picked a spot and just committed to it. Said, okay, because what happens is these bears are on kind of a rotation. And so the salmon will pool up and a bear will come belly flop in the middle of it. The salmon will disperse. Well, then the bear will go to a different spot and belly flop and the salmon will disperse. Then go to a different spot and while it's moving that first spot will reset and the salmon will come back in. So they end up doing loops. And so one of the traps that's easy to fall into is saying, oh, there are more bears up there. Let's go up there. Well, <laughs> as soon as you get up there, <laughs> all those bears that are up there are going to go right down to where you just were. So it's, it's important to be patient, pick a spot, 
commit to it. Like pick, pick the shot based on what you want the behavior to be, the backdrop to be. Like really compose the shot so that when a bear shows up, you're ready for it. Like you put the bear you right where you want it to be. in your head. Yeah. It also helps me because it takes me a while to set up the video gear. <laughs> and if we're like, let's move, I'm like, oh, man. <laughs> so let's let's actually start right there. There's two things. So we were actually there. F- Dude, I don't remember if we said this in another podcast. Did we say exactly why we were going? Because you guys were working on a, a project. Yes. And you needed this fish or bear with fish footage, right? Yes. And then, so that was the reason we're there. I, I can't remember if we talked about that exactly or not. That was so long ago. Though. It was a very long time ago. <laughs> and then the second thing was, is when you're talking about the behavior or whatever, you kind of knew the shot or both the, I don't know if you guys have talked about it, mm-hmm. but you wanted a bear coming directly at the camera with fish in between us, between the photographer or the camera and the bear. And you just get this head-on just rushing at the fish shot, yeah, right? Yeah, because if you put yourself in the wrong spot, suddenly you have a bare bum facing you the entire time. Which, <laughs> you know, beautiful, great, but not exactly the shot that we want. <laughs> well, but, And then we got lucky because we had so many family groups that came in. And it's cool, too, because the spot we were in, the water level was different depending on which direction you looked. And bears use a variety of techniques to fish. So we had snorkelers on one side, belly floppers in another place, and then the ones that actually knew what they were doing and <laughs> were far more efficient <laughs> um, that were getting the fish in the shallow area. So we had a mixture of fishing techniques and, and different bears. Well, and then going back to the reason why we were doing this is because we are eyeball deep right now in the fight against the proposed pebble mine which we talked about a lot in the last podcast. And it's, you know, this fight's been going on a long time now. And a lot of you have probably submitted comments. You've probably written your legislators. You, you've taken action, but all of that is leading up to now. This fight is coming to a head in the next month. Like, we are, we are in it. Things are happening. I mean, my head is, every day I wake up and I check what's going on today. And we change our social media message. We change the, the, the call to action. <laughs> oh, I got to change all the links on the website because this happened and you have to react. I mean, it it, it feels like a, uh, a war. And then I have Drew on speed dial and I'm like, did you see what happened today? <laughs> <laughs> Drew's like, hello, Aaron. <laughs> well, we just had this, we just had this big thing uh, the other day because we've had our campaign planned out. We're going to talk about how the bears, the famous bears of the Alaska Peninsula would be impacted negatively by this proposal. And then the other day, Donald Trump Jr. tweets out his opposition to the Pebble Project. And so suddenly we're scrambling like, oh, wow. Like, this is not what we this expected is, to we happen. We did not <laughs> expect that to happen. And so, you know, like today, I just I tweeted. I've never, you never tweeted I've before. Never tweeted <laughs> big, before. I would like everyone to know what a big deal this is for Drew to have tweeted. <laughs> so if you get a chance, tell Drew congratulations on your first tweet. Yeah. Well, and, and keep it up. Well, and so my first tweet, what I had to do, because I'm, I'm more Instagram, so I, I took a screenshot of my tweet to put on Instagram, because I think that's, that's how you good. do it, I right? think that's how you do it. I don't know. I'm probably <laughs> as tweet inefficient as you. <laughs> so this was, so, I, I don't know how Twitter works necessarily, but my tweet was I went on Donald Trump Jr.'s Twitter. With Twitter. <laughs> and I retweeted his uh, tweet 
<laughs> to Ivanka Trump. Like I'm trying to insert myself into the family dynamics. <laughs> and so Just adding some fuel to You know, because he's saying it. I'm like, well, what's... Yeah, Ivanka, hey, Ivanka what you do, look what like do, you might like bears. You might like bears, Ivanka. What do you... So, so you know, everybody should go on to uh, Twitter and retweet Donald Trump, Trump Jr.'s tweet. tweet at his sister. I like... Th- I really like this plan. Yeah, let's do it. Well, and obviously tweets are taken in high regard out there in D.C., so the more you do, the better I'm glad it's not TikTok because (laughs) trying to imagine the two of us trying to figure out TikTok is just a disaster in itself. (laughs) We'll leave the TikTok to Brad Josephs. Yeah, we'll leave it to him. (laughs) All right, where were we? that That was our big news. So we, and then now another thing we want people to do, should we go straight into that? Yeah, so we do have this window and um, where we are directing comments to um, specific Alaska senators, specifically Dan Sullivan, who um, um, is up for re-election. And, you know, we really want him to know that 62% of Alaskans are opposed to this project. Like these are Alaskans who are going to be going to the, the polls. And not just Alaskans, that people who are outside Alaska who value the things Alaska has to offer, the people who are coming here to spend their tourist dollars. You might not be coming this year. You might not be coming next year. But sometime you want to make sure that there is this bare resource for you to come and experience or your grandkids even. Well, and if you're an American, I mean, this is a national, these are national parks that we're looking at. This is public land. Like as an American, there is some ownership to public lands and how proud we should be of our national parks. And I what was going to say, represent. even if you're never going to show up here, yeah. you still sh- probably would love to know that, hey, there's a wild place in this world that is wild. Well, and when you make a comment, you're you're contributing. You're helping protect it. Well, and there's, there's a certain, I don't know, before I started contacting my legislators on a regular basis, <laughs> I was nervous about it. You know, I was like, oh, it's a big, fancy, important person. A big shot. A big shot, yeah. <laughs> but keep in mind, their job is to represent you. And they're not sitting there in Washington, D.C. with ESP. They don't know what you're thinking until you tell them. So it's a matter of tell, I mean, that is your right to talk to your representatives and say, look, I really don't like all this shady stuff that's going on with with Pebble disregarding science or uh, I don't like how this process has been rushed or there's a pandemic going on. That copper's not going anywhere. Why are you doing this during a pandemic? Like, there are any number of reasons. Or it's an international company that's going to come in. It's not even an American company. Yeah, that's another really good point to point out. Yeah, and so they don't know until you tell them. And so we we do have the alaskabears.earth website. So it's www.alaskabears.earth. We've got the uh, alaskabears.earth on Instagram um, where we will have, and I said these change frequently, so um, we will have the most (laughs) up-to-date Uh, links, actions you can take. And it really does seem like there's a different action every week because we are fighting an international mining company that is very adept at political gamesmanship. So suddenly something will happen over here and, oh, we need to write to this legislator or um, some, oh, the, uh, the draft or the final environmental impact statement came out. So we need to write to the EPA. So there are all these people. It's not a one and done. Like this is a, this is a, strategic this is, the long this is a haul. marathon yeah. not a sprint <laughs> right 
and I didn't realize that before this all started. You know, I, I was always of the, oh, we'll sign, we'll sign a petition and it'll go away or whatever. But no, like behind the scenes, there is so much going on. The first time we fought this fight. Yeah. I mean, the same thing was going on. It was different people. <laughs> yep. Different but people. But somebody same. was doing the same thing. Yep. yep. 20 years. And there's <laughs> been multiple partnership mining companies that have dropped out too. That's another thing to, to be aware of. They've said that it isn't worth the risk. So even mining companies have stepped away. That's a direct quote from Rio Tinto. I've been reading too much about Pebble, clearly. <laughs> no, Rio Tinto, one of the biggest mining companies in the world, walked away from this project because they said in their release that it was too risky. They didn't categorize that risk. They didn't say if it was financial risk or environmental risk, but it was probably a combination of all those things. Environmental risk does lead to economic risk. It was too risky for an established mining company like Rio Tinto. And so they just walked away. Anglo-American walked away from like $400 million that they had already invested in this project. Again, too risky. So to have this going through with this junior mining company that's not even from the United States is like, it's, it, it's, it's kind of insulting. It just doesn't really? make sense, too. <laughs> We've all talked about this. It's like every, th every time something new comes out, we're just like, this. it just doesn't make sense to take these risks. And big companies are seeing that. It doesn't make sense. So let's circle back because I want to go back to the rest of the trip because a that's lot why of these people are listening. photographers, <laughs> yeah. I think people want to know how to do this. Whether yeah. you can ever do it or not, you mentioned something earlier, Aaron, where people just love to plan trips. I, I, mean, you I could mean, I love looking at different options that you have. There's something really exciting about like dreaming of your next big trip. Right. It's an adventure and you're planning that adventure. I mean, it's, this could be your honeymoon cool. for people. But before we do that, <laughs> the other thing I wanted to point out, and it kind of goes back to what we were just talking about. I don't think we talked to anybody yesterday because everybody asks you when, when you roll into town and you've got a bunch of cameras, people are like, what are you doing? Well, we would say, oh, we're going to go shoot some stuff for, to go to, on this campaign against the Pebble, uh, Pebble Mine. And they're like, oh, yeah, I hate that project. Everybody, I don't, we didn't talk to anybody yesterday that said, oh, I don't really care or, oh, I'm all for it. So you said, what, 62% of Alaskans are against it. You can pretty openly talk about how much you dislike the pebble mine in Alaska and not get any pushback. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> that and is not a topic I shy away from. And I want people to know that. I mean, because yeah. it really directly affects Alaskans, but it, it affects everybody because it is a national park. Yep. So just keep that in mind. When you know, If you're like on the fence, whether I don't have 10 minutes to go fill out the form, just take that 10 minutes. And well, the, the other thing, too, is it wasn't just bear viewers we saw. We saw fishermen out fly fishing on the river so there's two different groups that are sharing this river with the bears and both are having different experiences but really probably life-changing experiences and it wasn't even all photographers i mean there were people that were just walking oh there was one lady with who's a birder she was there definitely was, a birder. Uh, definitely there was those people <laughs> that were sitting up on the hill that looked like they were laying in the sun in bear country <laughs> the and then that group that came through that what is there like 10 people it was a guy that you knew oh yeah they none of those people were serious photographers no. they were just there to experience the experience and it is an experience it is and you know for for those keeping in mind yeah people are having their own experience out there to a person i don't know anybody that has gone bear viewing that didn't have it be a life-changing experience whether it's they got this fabulous story to go home and tell their friends or or just truly people who have transformed their lifestyles even to you know, they, these are the hardcore bear 
junkies, <laughs> really. These are the people that you see year after year. You run into them in Churchill. You run into them at, uh, there was a woman I, I met in, in Churchill and then just, you know, said, oh, hi. What or no, 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 it's the other way around. I met her at Brooks Camp. And then the next place I saw her was in Churchill and you're just like, oh, <laughs> I know you. You're a bear junkie. <laughs> and she, she was retired. Um, she, I mean, she was probably 70, 80 years old. And she was in her retirement, and what she did was go places and watch bears. And there's a lot of people that do that. And the people that can't do that, they admire the pictures on Instagram. Well, they and explore.org has the live bear cams where they can enjoy these bears live. And many people do. Cause Daily. Yeah, because it's really accessible. You can see the bears. People know every single bear at the falls. They know their names. There's fan pages on Facebook. like Fat Bear Week. Fat Bear Week, the competition we talked about. I mean, there's all this stuff. And, I mean, if you do get the chance to go, like seeing a brown bear for the first time in person is quite an experience. Well, I got a comment. I put up one of our pictures, one of my pictures from yesterday on Instagram. And the guy, a guy made a comment. He's like, I would crap my drawers if, <laughs> if there was a bear that close to me. And I'm like, you know. Yeah, I mean, there's places where you should crap your drawers because you are gonna, there, you just don't have any business being that close to a bear. But there's also these places like Katmai, like Lake Clark, like McNeil, where there's a symbiotic relationship where danger is not a part of the equation. I mean, we didn't you're, you're even have a cautious. gun. Yeah, yeah you're always cautious. Yeah, you're obviously cautious. You have your bear sprays. You, that's why you have your guides. But there is such a difference between Alaska Peninsula brown bears and say something in yellow, a bear in Yellowstone or even a bear in, in another in Anchorage because there's this symbiotic relationship because of benign. <laughs> benign repeated, <laughs> repeated benign interaction, habituation. Yeah. 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 So there's, there's a massive difference and it's really important to understand this if you want to photograph bears or even go bear viewing. Every population of bears is a different population, and it's good to know how this population is going to interact with people. And in these areas, you stay your 50 yards away, like the, the park says. Sometimes a bear will approach, and if you have an experienced guide, they know how to handle that situation. Oftentimes, it's just to let it walk right by, and, and they don't even really care that you're there. But the amazing part of this area is because of these relationships, the, f the photos you can get are amazing. And th this is the really the only place you can do. I love, I, I, my, if you go through my Instagram feed, it's just bear, 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 tiger, Cat. bear, bear, bear. <laughs> butterfly, <laughs> butterfly. And, uh, so I'm, I'm pretty up on, on, on the bear photos of the world and you know, they all have their charms. Like I, I love going to Grand Teton and, and photographing bears down there. It's a different experience, but it's a different experience. You get different expectations and, uh, yeah, they're, they're all great. Wherever you go, it's going to be different. But the place where you can do this is the Alaska Peninsula. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So, and I, I guess speaking to proximity to bears, I mean, we had 38 bears, which we talked yep. about already. There was only one bear all day that actually, it was that little young bear when we were leaving. <laughs> remember? And you were like, I'm surprised that little guy even just gave us a second look when it wasn't even like a you know it's just kind of like a hoo -hoo -hoo, i see you <laughs> yeah <laughs> like it wasn't even like no and it wasn't a it yeah. wasn't a serious thing but you, drew was just like i can't even believe it that. was I mean, the only one that even gave us their attention whatsoever yeah yeah, yeah. and then all you did is what did i don't even I remember said, what hey. you said hey bear he said hey yeah. there <laughs> hey buddy keep it moving <laughs> and it just turned and, and went away <laughs> 
but the just the experience and what you can do in places like this is well, amazing. And Drew was talking about when when you know the area, you understand each bear's boundaries. So you understand when you should leave a situation or when you just sit still and let the bear go by. Like there's there's a lot of bear behavior and body language and it's yeah, it's a pretty amazing experience. So in that one, that was that was a so that was a sub-adult bear. So that yeah. was probably like a three-and-a-half-year-old bear. <laughs> and we knew he was there because he was on a channel in the river that was not the channel we were in. He was the next one over. And we'd been standing there photographing salmon for, what, a half hour probably? Can we, we were... talk about that? <laughs> <laughs> this is a photography podcast. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm giving you some very inside information about my filming yeah. You should feel really lucky. I think you should. Yeah, I think you should uh, share. I, I really appreciate the look Drew gave me when I was making this contraption. <laughs> Basically, we had GoPros, and um, Drew and Mike were attaching them to rocks and setting them at the bottom of the of the riverbeds. And I was like, you know, it would be better, a dynamic shot. So <laughs> I got a stick, and I zip-tied my GoPro to the stick, and I floated it down the river. So we have this very... If you're ever wondering what it's like to be a stick flowing through the river, <laughs> I've got the video for you. It's not just that she's a poor snorkeler. It was no. actually, yeah, it was it a is, remote cam. It is a remote. That's not me running my head into rocks. <laughs> and you didn't have a remote control to direct the stick. Nope. No, unfortunately, that stick is a little bit low tech. All you had was me on the other side of hoping that it didn't get past me and lose it forever. <laughs> I mean, it would be interesting to one day find... That stick, someone finds it and it's like, what is this? And what <laughs> is this? And what kind of footage do we have here? How long did that hour run for? Yeah. So, um, but Diane, we interrupted your story. Oh, well, so I was talking about that little bear and he, he, he had found a spot. It was obviously a crowded day on the river. And so bears like that, that are low ranking, they, for them to get a spot to themselves is pretty, he was probably pretty stoked. He's proud of himself. He was proud of He's himself. Like, I like, did he was this over there. today. Yeah. He was pounding the reds, like. And he comes out, and he, you know, he's got a little swagger. He's, you know, on his own his first summer. He's catching fish, and then all of a sudden he runs into us. And it was, it was almost like he was just trying to be in charge of something. Just <laughs> imagine like a high school teenage boy, but then in a bear form. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> and so he was like, I'm going to go. It wasn't a challenge, but he was like, I'm. it was a little swagger he had towards <laughs> us. That's exactly like, what it was, swagger. Keep it moving, Bob. Keep it moving. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so let's paint the picture of. I guess let's, I, we can start. Well, everybody knows you hop on a float plane in Homer. You fly to Katmai. You can also go out of King Salmon in Bristol Bay. That's another yes. way to get there. Yeah. yeah, so there's there's many ways to do that, but one those are two of the most common ones. Yeah. Okay, so then take us from after we landed, we started walking. I just want people to know what to expect because we were there, what, five hours? Yep. We were, we were there a little longer than a normal trip just because we were on this specific uh, mission. Mission. And so we, we ended up, you know, you're walking over tundra, you're, we're in waders or some of us were in hip boots. Some of us were in chest waders. And so we're walking in the stream, we're crossing rivers, we're watching out in the slippery spots. It is very low water this year. So we didn't have any restrictions, uh, on a normal water year. You do follow a more, um, regular route. Like I, I really felt like yesterday cause it was so low, we could have walked anywhere in the river, mm -hmm. but on a high water year, you you got to have a guide to know where to cross the river safely. And what stuff do you like do on that. a high water? I'm, I'm totally leaving the script. <laughs> what do you do? I, so the time I did it before, we just flew in and out of the same lake. And I guess we haven't got to that part of the story. Okay, I'll, wait. <laughs> Go ahead. 
Well, so and um, usually on those on a day trip like that, we will walk uh, between three and a half and five miles. And so it's not like it's a forced death march for five miles. You're, you're doing, you're moving over here, and then you walk a half mile, and you're there. Well, and you're so distracted by the fact that you have all these bears around you. And, I mean, if you're a photographer, it's it's heaven for you. So. And I don't know that we were ever in a spot where we didn't see at least a bear, right? I, I mean, maybe there was there a couple parts. I mean, parts. there was tundra with there bears maybe, far away. There was always a bear, I think. Yeah, there was always a bear in view. In view. Yeah. And... What's interesting about that place is if you went there on approximately July 21st this year, there would have been no bears. <laughs> you know, the, the fish hadn't made it there. Those fish have to come all the way up from, from Bristol Bay through the lake system, um, then through Kukoklik Lake, and then up another creek. And then, uh, so like if you'd gone from before, before, there would have been nothing. And then all of a sudden the bears know because they've got these different routes that they take every year. They're coming from the Cook Inlet side. They're coming from other places in Bristol Bay to that spot specifically for these these fish. And uh, they're all coming from far and wide. And one of the things that's going to mess that up or mess this system up is Pebble wants to put all this infrastructure out there. They want to put uh, roads. They want to, well, besides the, the mine threatening the fishery itself, the actual food for the bears, um, you're going to have people and roads and power and plants and, and all these things that are going to serve to fragment the best bear habitat in the world. And habitat loss, habitat fragmentation, people coming in. Increased interaction with people who aren't there to see bears or to be fishing, or that, that makes a big difference. So if that same bear that walked by us, because we're well-behaved humans, if it walked up to the mine site, or if it walked up to the port facility, they'd be shooting cracker shells at it. They'd be chasing trucks, chasing it with trucks. Um, they'd be hazing it. So they're fundamentally changing how that bear relates to humans. And it's, 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 it's a major concern of mine. And then we talked about this last episode too. The, the big fear is, is food conditioning. Um, you look at other industrial sites uh, in Alaska, like the North Slope, um, where they've got oil development, you know, all the bears that have been killed up there have been because they were food conditioned. And it really, the, I mean, it's a mantra. You read it on brochures. A fed bear is a dead bear is very true. It's so true. And if you start introducing people and food and, and infrastructure, um, anywhere there's conflict between bears and humans, uh, the bears are going to lose in that bigger well, that is one situation. And the other situation is is if you get a bear that just understands that humans aren't cool and they're down there fishing when there was a bunch of photographers, it could become that problem bear for a photographer. Yep. So that, I mean, which still ends up as a dead bear, right? Yep. But it also could be way different for a photographer. You wouldn't have the experience we had yesterday. No, it absolutely would change the experience. Yeah. Well, and you, you, tell your, you tell your friends, oh, I came to Alaska and we saw bears. You show them their picture or the pictures, and they say, oh, you're nuts. <laughs> but Does anyone ever tell you that? Oh, I get it all the time. Every day. <laughs> but, and it's not, I should say, you know, I'm not the only one that, do, that does this. <laughs> there are approximately 500 jobs a year generated by the bear viewing industry. I'm not some Also, weirdo. all the film crews, you see those popular film films, crews. Disney Nature. You see a film about bears, Alaska bears. It's probably filmed there. Yep. And uh, <laughs> there have been more people killed by rivers in Katmai Park than there have been people killed by bears. 
And of the – well, there have been two people killed by bears in Katmai Park, and you can probably name one, one of, of them. them. For sure. Timothy Treadwell. Yes, you got it. And we, I would like to point out this is something that I was, people always talk to me about Timothy when they're like, oh, you're going to go film bears. Do you hear about the grizzly man? And I'm like, <laughs> you do have to realize, like, he was in the field for a really long time, and those bears tolerated his behavior for a very long time. Well, and the other thing was – he was in the summertime mm-hmm. with all those bears. These were different bears. These weren't the bears that were there in the summertime. The bears that got him, he was there in October. Which mm-hmm. is, yeah. It's, it's a, a completely different, different bunch of bears. Whole different bunch of bears, whole different mentality that they have at that point. They're probably not a hubit- habituated bear because they're using that area at a different time when people aren't well, there. They're not focusing on the salmon resource for right. food. Well, and it should be said as well that he went 12 years going out of his way to do just about everything wrong. Yep. And so we're talking about, you know, the experience of him uh, dying. But, you know, he set up his camp on a bear trail. Yep. In a, like just the... No bear fences. Like three easy steps that are outlined in the fish and game, how to staying safe in bear country brochure would have saved his life. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I think that it is important to, to remember that because you don't want that to be the reputation of those bears in those, that park, because if you safely interact, if you do it, it can be a really enjoyable, not scary experience. So when you're, you're thinking about an industry like Brooks Falls on their busiest day, I think they ran like 400 people. So mm-hmm. you take, and you know, all these other places, however many, I don't have any of the user data in front of me, but however many positive bear viewing experiences there are every day in the summer in Alaska. And then somebody says, hey, have you heard of Timothy Treadwell? <laughs> like this is one incident that happened 20 years ago. Or I, I don't remember how long ago. Long I think it was ago. over 20 years. 10 to 20 years. Yeah. Or and so like the, those incidents just capture our imagination that we're still talking about that one time that it happened 20 years ago. And he was, he definitely was not on a guided <laughs> bear viewing trip. No. no. And it, that was on TV too, right? I don't think if he wasn't on TV, he would, he, you probably wouldn't even know about it. No. Yeah. You know, he had that grizzly man show, which discovery did. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. So take us to the last part of the trip because we saw bears the whole time. Ooh, we have to add in. So we were sitting in our spot that we had picked, and we at one point had four different family groups around us fishing. So you're sitting there, and you have all these moms with their cubs, and you're watching each one try to fish. And one mom's fishing, and the cub's jumping on a branch. Another mom's fishing, and the cub's trying to fish next to it and failing miserably. Another mom's fishing with her two beautiful little cubs, and they're successfully catching their own fish and running and then trying to, there's one trying to steal its mom's fish. Like there's all around you. It's like a sensory overload. You have all these different things happening and you have all these different moms acting in completely different ways. And so in one spot, we could have gotten a million different photo like opportunities. And we were talking about it. There's four of us out there. All of our photos look very different and they're the same bears and they're the same time. So it's just, it's incredible. And what Aaron's talking about is not, over the course of an hour. This was one time during the day we had, what, <laughs> at least four moms with all with cubs that we could see. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and we, they, they were all photographable. Yeah. yeah. Like, you had your choice between four family groups. One had two. Two of them had one each. And then one had three. 
Yeah. And we were, I was literally on a swivel, like, whoa, sketching what? <laughs> and it was interesting because we had, you know, different technologies. Each of us had different uh, setups. Like, I, I had the Olympus uh, OMD X with a 600-millimeter uh, equivalent lens. Uh, Max had the 5D Mark IV with the, the one brand to new 400. <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, well, I'll let you guys talk about what you toted in the field that day. I brought stills, so I shot with my 2 to 4 and 1DX, and then I brought the R5 just as a trial. <laughs> it was super fun to carry. I'm not that happy with it. Yeah. But I don't want to give away. But it was the first, first, first try. Yeah, and I'm not giving it enough time. I needed to shoot a little bit more. But I would, if I did it again, I would definitely take the red. <laughs> <laughs> and then, Aaron, what and was I was shoot? shooting with a red Epic W with a 150 to 600 lens. And she was killing it. You haven't seen the footage. <laughs> oh, I, I'm sure you can. <laughs> but we, I, we had some really cute, beautiful moments, like when we had this gorgeous, it's one of the prettiest mom and cubs I've seen in a long time. She was really dark brown bear, and she had her two, they had just been fishing, and she laid down on the bank, and one put its paws around her bum and its head on her bum, and the other had its little head peeking over on her back, and it was just like picture perfect moment, and all of us were like, just like filming and, and taking photos, and you're like, it's just beautiful. It's so inch. They posed for a good 10 minutes and kind of changed the angles for us, did a little different. I had too much lens. You have too much lens. <laughs> I, st I stitched it. I did had you to stitch it together, yeah. <laughs> but, it, but it was really, I mean, again, there's four of us out there shooting at the same time, shooting the same bears, and you look at the different perspectives of each of our photos or video, they look very different. Everybody has their own style. Although I do have a picture of Michael where he's got the, the brand new camera and the lens and the tripod all set up and he pulls out his phone. <laughs> he's, he's got the phone. He's got the fancy cam all set up, but you just got to do a little bit on the phone. You too. just got to do that Instagram story. <laughs> yeah, that's it. I mean, it's so bad, right? And I do, a lot of times I miss it because I forget, but yesterday, and that was the other thing is you have so many opportunities. You do have time to get the good stuff. Mm -hmm. on the good cameras and then take a minute when and there's a bear sleeping in the bushes and film it with your phone exactly because <laughs> it's, exactly. it's kind of more rugged like look like in raw in the moment <laughs> yep so the last part is and what i was going to reference earlier so we walked that what three and a half would you say max we did yesterday three and a half miles four miles 3.2 3.2 i'd say we a solid efficient. five miles with, with I'm a fisherman. I get to like <laughs> round up. Stretch it out. Yeah. Well, and see, with our packs, they weighed in at probably 25 more pounds. Uh, yeah, I ate a lot of food after that. I was like, I carried a lot of weight for <laughs> at least five miles. So, so I'm eating all my M&Ms and a big dinner. <laughs> so we landed at one lake. And I said earlier, I landed at that lake before and we took off out of that lake. But yesterday we landed at one lake and then the pilot picked us up on a completely different lake so we walked five miles we didn't retra retrace any of our steps yep. we walked that five miles or four <laughs> miles three miles whatever <laughs> I'm it messing was everyone up. <laughs> 27 miles <laughs> <laughs> and then uh so what i was going to ask earlier is if it's a low water year how do you cross that that bigger river because i didn't do that last time i was there but and max got wet <laughs> 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 just this a reminder quickly pull up your hip boots before you get in the river right <laughs> right or at least strap them to your belt or at least wear a belt well yeah <laughs> so on that river you know you go out there and you have indicators where there's a rock that's on that island that once a certain portion of that rock 
is showing showing you're like okay i can cross anywhere here if a, another if it reaches another mark you're like okay i got to use this zigzag route from like gravel bar to gravel bar to gravel bar and if that rocks underwater you're floating you're floating <laughs> <laughs> so no it's it, that would be like a that would be for as low as an unusual as a low event as we had for it being to be uncrossable would be equally as odd on the other end of the spectrum so it, it does happen, and we just – that area is so versatile because there are different lakes you can land in. You can do the trips different ways. Um, there are certain lakes that uh, we take off out of where we'll have to uh, – might have to do a shuttle where uh, to get everybody out, he'll, the pilot will take you know, a couple of the people and fly them to a bigger lake and then come back and get the, the other people and then fly them up to the bigger lake where you've got more takeoff uh, area. takeoff area. So there are just all these – tricks that you get with having an experienced bush pilot with having a guide who knows water levels and things like that that you know couldn't save us all from not fill, for from filling the hip boots yesterday but <laughs> well and i think the cool thing again about that is when you spend the money to go on a trip like this you're putting money back into a local economy and that local economy is going to keep working to protect these areas so yeah, your va your vacation might cost a bit more, but if you really think in terms of this is supporting people who support this habitat, I, th I think it's really, that's a good way to look at it. That's a perfect way to look at it, and you're going to have a much better adventure. Yep. You th There's all these little pitfalls that you could fall into by yourself that are never, you know, for <laughs> example, you're not going to fill up your waders <laughs> with boots, <laughs> or you're not going to fill up your boots with water, and then you're also, that is very well put. I'm glad you said that, because that is probably the most important thing when then homer's got good pizza places it's it's a great way to celebrate at the end of the day you it's go a out very good way. have some fine homer dining <laughs> or kodiak people go to oh yeah kodiak's kodiak another kodiak one as well so all right well dining in kodiak let's wrap this up but the contacting sullivan is only good for how long we're we're gonna do that basically for just the next couple weeks okay here. so it's worth so, it for the next because this will yeah. go out next week or yeah. next Tuesday, or maybe even earlier. So that is still important. Still, the, everything we talked about in the last podcast, go mm -hmm. to alaskabears.earth, www.alaskabears.earth, and there's, it's so easy. Just fill out the form, you know, just click on the links and follow it. Just do, yeah. what, do what they have laid out to do. And, and be persistent. I know this is a long fight, but we're all in it together, right? So let's, let's uh, keep the momentum going, because this is really, it's coming down to the, to the final final things <laughs> well, well and i do i i'm fascinated by social media and a little scared of it um but yeah let's 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 all retweet <laughs> donald trump jr's tweet about pebble do, well, and his on. sister i so, think that's a great idea but do you remember the time where you, did you hear when all the fishermen sent corks to murkowski yes. that said no pebble mine on it and we corked her off which is a fishing <laughs> phrase that was one <laughs> if you if you make a commercial fisherman angry <laughs> Like she just got thousands of corks, <laughs> so it does. It makes a statement when you <laughs> when when you start to use a bunch of people to make a voice. It doesn't have to be corks, obviously, but even emailing and calling, your voice makes a difference. Well, and we should say also on that www.alaskabears.earth, we have our social media guide, where you know if you've got bear images, like it, it's a guide that allows you to wage your own campaign. So if you reference the things we're talking, you say, okay, I'm going to direct my followers to email Sullivan or whatever the latest call to action is, which will be on the website. It's got the list of hashtags. Um, it's got 
the things you need. And I mean, just because you're not. It doesn't matter your following yeah. size because you might have three, 400 people that we wouldn't have reached. So right. three or 400 voices, that's that's great. And you don't even have to have bear pictures. Like draw a bear on your shirt and take a selfie and, you know. Hashtag share your bears. Hashtag share your bears. So you can do that easy stuff. But the other thing to do is follow Drew and Aaron on Instagram because they are all over it as far as what's going on at the moment. You won't be for a while because I'm gonna be you're going to be out of service, out for of a service on a shoot. But Drew is always on it. So follow Drew. Let's see. Alaska Bears on Earth. But also your Instagram handle is Drew H. Drew HH. HH. And, um, and then Aaron's is E Rainey, right? Yep. So E period R A N N E Y. And it's all, this is all linked in the show notes. So you can get yeah. to all that stuff. But follow those guys, these two people, because they will get you the information at the moment. You know, yeah. whatever's pertinent that like day. Like I said, Drew's on my speed dial. As soon as I hear something, <laughs> I'm like, Drew! Did you hear that? <laughs> Did you hear this? Yeah, it's... it's. Uh, <laughs> and I'm sure he has about 20 people that are like that. <laughs> <laughs> All of our content is baked fresh daily, so... <laughs> and what I do is, rather than using the social media guide, I just go to your Instagram... <laughs> And I just copy all the hashtags right there because, <laughs> it, yeah, I mean, it's that's what you're doing with them anyway. Yeah, so we want to spread the word. Steal spread our hashtags. Steal, exactly. our, steal our captions. Just make I don't it care. Easy. Just, just get the word out. Just make it easy on yourself. <laughs> yeah. So is there anything um, fresh hashtags that, that are new that we need to be um, throwing around? Yes, Veto Pebble Mine. Yep. And because we should say what our ask is right now is so the Army Corps of Engineers has completed their environmental impact statement, which has disregarded science, good science that has been established over decades. They basically said, no, we're throwing that out. We don't need to look at it. Um, they've really restricted the project. So they're really only looking at a fraction of it. And so now the Environmental Protection Agency uh, can use their 404C powers the clean under the clean water act where they can veto this project and it should be said this has happened before um the previous administration vetoed this and it was resurrected in this weird form and so we need the epa to use their 404c clean water act authority to veto this project so dan sullivan asked him to hashtag veto pebble mine and none of you all can ever go use Drew as a guide as long as this fight's going on because he's too busy. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> if this fight's done, then you can hire do Drew. It for Drew. Yeah. <laughs> you definitely want Drew when you're out on a bear trip. So the sooner we get this done, the sooner he becomes available. It has reduced my work hours. <laughs> well, and sleep hours. And sleep hours, yeah. And I got to say COVID had a little bit to do with it this COVID. year. Yeah. COVID freed up a lot of time. Yeah. <laughs> All right, y'all. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right. Thanks, guys. You've been listening to the Wild and Exposed podcast. If you haven't yet, please give us a rating and a review. And make sure you're subscribed so that you'll get every episode we produce as soon as we drop it. And as always, thanks for tuning in. We're going to make it someday. Nothing's going to get in 